0: everybody. Thanks for tuning in on this week's episode. I interviewed Jim Kreider. Jim and I met down in Miami, but we had also met on the internet before. And he is a financial planner, certified financial planner. And his company is called Intentional Living Financial Planning. So you can go to intentionallivingfp.com. But you'll see here that uh, Jim's goal is to get people to live, have financial independence. Um, you know, which basically is what we all need so that we can enjoy the time on this earth, um, and enjoy those around us. So, uh, wouldn't we all like that? And, and Jim's really smart. I, I kind of told him, I think after the show, I said, you're kind of like the Bitcoin version of Dave Ramsey, um, where you know, he but he he does a good job. And I'll, I'll let him do the talking through the episode where he, you know, shows how he he talks to his clients, he lays out their goals, and then always uses that as a reference point uh, going forward. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Jim, and I'll definitely be having him on again. And I hope you guys enjoy it as well. And I hope you guys check out the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Go to go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple. Use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple to get 5% off. And also shout out to the new movie coming to Movies Plus. Um, we have a lot of them. But as you guys know, currently, or up to this point, there have been five Bitcoin documentaries on there. And we just added a fifth or a sixth. Wow, my brain. Um, we just added a sixth. So go to mymoviesplus.com and check it out. Um, it is the Bond to Unbind, um, which is about the, uh, you know, Bitcoin in El Salvador. And, and so we're adding tons of Bitcoin content all the time. There's a lot of conversations happening around in, in the background. So I hope you guys check that out. And I will talk to you guys later. I have to admit, whenever we met at the conference, um, I'm sitting there and I'm like, how do i know this guy like i know so like we followed each other on twitter and everything and and you would come into some spaces but i don't know what it was but maybe it was your profile picture like i think you're like with the it, I, I was just looking at your profile picture trying to explain how the how this but like you had the yellow background and you're blonde like me i mean now my hair is brown but i was a you know blonde blonde like i was a toe head as a kid um and So, like, I don't know if it, like, maybe in my mind distorted, like, the proportions of your head or your beard or whatever. So, like, I'm sitting there, you know, like, you were talking with a group of people and I knew a couple of people there. And so I just come up and start talking and we're sitting there and I'm like, I know that I swear I know this guy from somewhere, but I couldn't place you. And then, like, as we're talking, we're like, hey, let's make sure we're following each other on Twitter and we pull it up and we were following each other. And I was like, "Oh, okay, there we go." And then I realized who you were.
1: <laughs> that guy looked familiar, but it's yes, yeah, his head's not nearly as large as the uh, the picture made it seem. That's it's funny people. Yeah, in Miami, I don't know how many times people told me that, that I'm I'm taller than uh, than I looked at my picture. It was like the pictures are like shoulders <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, um.
0: <laughs> that's how everybody was. Like I couldn't. I was so off on everybody's height. Like, and it was just weird, like going from two years of talking to people via Twitter spaces and Zoom. And then all of a sudden, you're standing next to each other and you're like, okay, like I, I joked uh, before on this, but I said, I thought that like Luke, I think I thought like he looked like he was a lot shorter. And in my mind and then like whenever i met him somebody like had clicked the right corner of like in a photoshop picture and just like resized him bigger <laughs> cuz it was like proportionally he was all the same but i was like oh you are definitely bigger than i thought uh, it's just funny how that worked out
1: we that is uh Preston and i were meeting in the lobby and he had texted and was like hey i'll be over here anyways i was talking to uh to Andy Edstrom and i mm-hmm. said like, oh you're about to you're about to meet uh Preston. So like, do you know do you know where he is? I was like yeah he's he's come over here. Um but anyways, he was asking like how tall he is. I was like I don't know, but I was joking around. I was like I guess Preston sounds like he's probably about 5'11 or so. Um, but yeah, we're <laughs> yes. all just guessing like I I how do I how do I look for this person besides their without the laser eyes too. So <laughs>
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> what well, it was funny too cuz I came over, I think I was saying hi to to Daniel Prince and then um, I didn't even realize Preston was standing right there and he goes, Hey, I know this guy. And I looked at him and I was like, Oh, Hey, cause I, I don't know if uh, you probably haven't li- like heard, uh, but I did an episode with him a while back and um, he's from Pittsburgh. So we're <laughs> both like Pittsburgh natives and everything like that. And then like he, I moved to a very small rural community that he that's, this is where he hails from. Like, <laughs> so it's just like kind of funny that, you know, sitting there on this zoom call with them and i was like we're talking about like people with like last names like oh yeah i know that person you know like and i mean like i i when i came back from the conference i went to like i had to get new tires on my car go pick it up sitting there talking to somebody that i met in town and you know i said oh yeah i was just at the bitcoin conference and they, they mentioned his name i was like yep yeah yep he was there you know there's more than people that just this little town that were there but, but yeah it was it was uh, i don't know what did you think of the conference i thought because i don't really care i mean there was a lot of you know shit and whatnot talking and but i honestly it was more like to me the community and like getting together with everyone
1: exactly i um I spent the majority of my time actually at the conference on the side stages. And frankly, that's where that's where the most of the good meat was, was like in the the mining stage and these guys, like that's what Bitcoin is. It's the the people behind the scenes rather than, I don't know, athletes, celebrities. And stuff. It's like, and... why, why is this the way that we're propagating Bitcoin versus like what makes Bitcoin important is not the fact that Serena Williams or Venus Williams, whoever it was, owns it. Like it is the soundness, the, um, the technology and the, 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 I don't know, the underlying fundamentals that makes this important. That should be what is displayed. Um, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, we're sitting here hyping it up and that's, what's confusing people, people who don't understand Bitcoin. Um, we get mad that people lump Bitcoin and crypto into one place, yet we put people on stages who use Bitcoin and crypto as, in a, in a synonymous manner. It's like, well, of course, like we are, we're perpetuating that confusion. And if we, instead the main stage was like these conversations on the technical side, then that would be the message that's getting out. And ultimately that's, what's going to lead to people understanding why Bitcoin is important. It's not important because a celebrity owns it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where I spent most of my time. And I, I wish that was, that, that was what's, what's on the bigger stage, but yeah, I love, love the community. Uh, just getting to hang out and meet lots of people. Um, I was there. I have three kids and my, and and my wife, my my wife and kids didn't go. So it was, it was just me for like three or four days running around Miami. It was, it was, it was bizarre. (laughs) I felt like a college kid again or something.
0: I know I was in the same boat I was like sitting there. Like, I mean, I, you know, I felt I, I, anytime I leave and I haven't left on a business, that was the first business trip I did since COVID. But before that I went on business trips all the time and I have two kids and anytime I had to leave, I always would like, I would, I mean, I'm a, I'm an emotional guy. I'd get sad. I'd, you know, I always hated leaving them. And, um, and, and then once you got out the door and you got to like your destination, you're all right. So sitting there like feeling bad about leaving for the conference. And my wife was like, are you kidding me? You're going to Miami to me. As she kept saying, meet all your magic internet friends. And, (laughs) um, and she's like, and you get to, you know, sleep in a bed all by yourself. And it's going to be quiet and nobody's going to wake you up. And, you know, like, she's like, so what do you feel bad about? And I was like, well, when you put it that way, you know.
1: Yeah. My my wife, I tried to get Kendra to come and she was like, I don't want to go to Miami and hang out with a bunch of Bitcoiners. That sounds terrible. And That's exactly sure date, what my wife says. As she's driving me to the airport, she's like, why did I say I don't want to come? Like, please let me go with you.
0: <laughs> That's what maybe, maybe we should have our wives meet up and hang out because she that's exactly what she said. she was like, Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do is go to Miami and hang out with a bunch of nerds talking about Bitcoin. you know yep. I was like, well, you know i I mean, maybe that's what we should do is organize the the wives of Bitcoiners conference It goes adjacent <laughs> to whatever conference or wherever it's at, but uh, you know, they could all get together and just laugh at us, and uh,
1: I think you're onto something with that, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, we should we should do something um. So uh, so before we get into what your company does and everything like that, um, I was curious as to what your Bitcoin backstory was. You know, how did you get into it? When did you get into it? And all that kind of stuff.
1: Hmm. So, you know, the, the, the famous multiple touch points before you actually adopt Bitcoin. So my first touch point was in 2012. I was living in Boulder, Colorado. And the guy I worked with always asked our boss to uh, pay us in Bitcoin. But um, I didn't I didn't listen to what that guy had to say. I think he was like high most of the time, probably. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I, I'm not going to listen to him. And uh, man, I I regret that obviously now. Um, but that was my first touch point. But then, really, how I how I got into this was I've been listening to uh, Preston Pish and and Stig um, on We Study Billionaires and the Investors Podcast since probably like 2015. I think it was the first podcast I listened to ever, and just. Hearing, listening to their conversations on macro and their thoughts on analyzing companies and studying people who have strong backgrounds. They're not hype people. They're they're analytical and well thought out. So I trusted them. So as they started discussing Bitcoin in an early stance, like I think their first conversation on Bitcoin is like 2016 or 2017, I thought that was interesting. And their conversation was very speculative. But moving on, as those conversations moved from speculating and curiosity to um, understanding and really reinforcing this as being possibly something of value, that really piqued my interest because they had they had established established themselves as credible rather than as you know people like just a bunch of bros who just happened to buy something early on so they could you know buy weed on on the silk road or something. These guys mm-hmm. had actually thought through it and that 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 credibility forced me to think if they see something here, these guys are smarter than I am, I better look into this as well. So that's that's how I got into it. So I started really getting into Bitcoin about 2017. Um, and then in this just this happened to work out like this. It, it wasn't planned. I'm not I'm not a genius, but in 2020 right when the covid dip took place, I was actually transitioning um, the vast majority of my wife and I are money from one institution to another. So it was all out of the market at that point. Mm. So I missed that like few week, massive 23% dip during mm-hmm. COVID and market went to junk. And that's right when I really became a Bitcoin maxi. And at that point, that's when I went and just bought in. And there's hundred percent into Bitcoin and um, anything that was inside of retirement accounts and stuff went to like Bitcoin mining companies and, and grayscale. But yeah, at that point, I was just... I. I drank the Kool-Aid and and haven't really looked back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh sounds similar. I mean, I wasn't, I, I didn't transition. I wasn't transitioning between but I, I dumped my 401k. I was like, get rid of this thing. And I'm like, go all in because I, you know, like you said, there's very few people that got it early and like really understood it. Like uh guy Swan and his brother, Jeff are two of the people that like, have got it that early and stayed Bitcoiners. You know I mean? There's like Andreas and there's Roger Ver and everybody who, you know, they got it early, but then went astray. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think there was a big divide, you know, where it was like, Oh, it's just getting used for pot on the Silk Road or something, you know? So like, why would I, you know, touch that? And then, yeah, I think, you know, I'm with you there. Like the fact that, you know, people like Preston and, and Stig and just other people in the, in the place with like value investors, you know, where it's like value investors like are really valuing this. Like there's, there's something here. There's a reason, you know. Um, what do you think about like the, the general view? Because um, like, I'm, I think I heard Preston say one time, he was like, I just want to get back to my value investing, you know, because everything's so broken. Um, so like, what do you think is a value right now? Is, is Bitcoin the only thing of value?
1: Man, that's hard to say. Everything, everything is so broken. It is. It's infuriating. Um, things that are supposed to be safe. There, there is no safe asset. And I would say, well, there's a few things you have to look through. One of those is, is risks. So, there's risk in everything you do. Um, that, and even if we put that to like a physical standard. So, if you, let's say you were someone who was a hypochondriac. So you were afraid to go out in public and do things because you're afraid of getting hurt or getting sick. So you became a shut-in to protect yourself from the risk of whatever, catching a disease. So you just stayed in your house all day. Well, that's really risky. It's just a sneaky risk. That risk is the fact that one, it's probably gonna lead to like poor mental health. Two, you might not get enough sunlight and you're not getting enough exercise. You're gonna maybe become obese and be vitamin, vitamin K deficient or vitamin D deficient rather. And then you'll die early. Um, I'm not saying that you should go out and I don't know, just drive a motorcycle on the highway and do all kind, of, live a crazy life. But you have to recognize, no matter what you're doing, there is risk, and that's where this these supposed risk-free assets, so U.S. Treasuries or even the U.S. dollar, there are risks there. And the risk of, you know, people say that you know buying stocks or buying Bitcoin is risky, so I'm going to not have any risk by owning cash. I would say cash is the equivalent of becoming a shut-in at your house like you're subjecting yourself to a it used to be a slow a slow death now it's becoming a much more quick uh quick death but you are you have to understand there's risk in everything you do now also with that we have to decouple the term risk from volatility risk and volatility are not the same um again if you if you look at risk being Risk is not the movement of a price. Risk ultimately is the inability to do what's important to you. So if if you own Bitcoin and you need that money in a week, and you just go and buy all Bitcoin with that, that's a very risky thing to do because there's a possibility that Bitcoin goes down, therefore you're not able to do that. Okay, because of the volatility. Versus if you own Bitcoin and you need that money in a decade. I would say that's less risky and it goes like, it, it goes the same with traditional asset classes. Um, volatility and risk are correlated, but they're not the same. And that's where people think that Bitcoin is risky because it is volatile in its price. Um, I would argue that Bitcoin, the, the Bitcoin with the big B and the Bitcoin with a small B, the, the actual the asset, the, the price of Bitcoin, um, I would argue that's becoming less risky on a daily basis. As we th- see things like Canada and you know countries starting to default, and countries like we're seeing in real time, um, country after country starting to see hyper or inflation and possibly hyperinflation, and that is uh, just propping up the narrative of why Bitcoin is actually important. And yes, it's still volatile, but again, I think it's it's becoming less risky in itself. Back to your original question, um, value investing: is there anything that's not Risky right now. I I don't know. I don't. That's the hardest question. It's funny. I've asked. I've asked really smart people this question. Like um, people that you and I listen to. I'll grab their ear and ask them, like, "Hey, if you know Foss and even like Preston, people like this, they say, you know, buy Bitcoin and put it in storage for a decade." But I I as a financial planner. I can't just tell my clients that like not every need they have is a decade out. I have a lot of families I work with that. Maybe, maybe you sold your house and you're renting for two years until you figure out, you know, while you're, while you're figuring out where you want to build your next house. Well, what do you do with cash for the next two years? Now we're not talking 10, but two. And that's a really, really tough question. It's funny because I've asked a lot of really smart people that, and they just laugh and say, man, that's why I don't want to have your job Uh, Mm -hmm. because I don't know what a safe asset class is. And that's where I do take a lot of heat from Bitcoin Maxis, as far as saying like, "Yeah, you should have an a cash U.S. dollar emergency fund," um, mm. because, again, that's that's looking at the volatility and the risk of not being able to do something if you have a short term need. But I'm, I'm sort of rambling this point. No, no, uh, keep
0: going, keep going. I'm with, I'm I'm with you. I'm just thinking.
1: Yeah, that's it's. it's Again, you have to look at how comfortable are you with, with the price movement of something and understanding the, the difference between risk and volatility as well. Um, a, a risky thing to do as well on a personal stance, it would be risky for you to buy Bitcoin um, if you can't stomach an 85% drop. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you know, if, if we went to Six Flags or, or Bush Gardens or a, a theme park, And we were going to go on a roller coaster. These roller coasters are pretty safe and they're well-engineered and and safe. Yeah, some people die, I guess, but they're really safe things to do. So the risk is not with the roller coaster itself. The risk is the fact that maybe, Corey, you got on the roller coaster thinking like, yeah, other people have done this. I don't like doing these, but I guess it's okay. Then we get on and we start going up the hill and you start going up. We get to the very top and you say, you know what? This isn't for me. And as we start going down that first drop, you say, yeah, I'm bailing. So then you take off your seatbelt. It's not the ride itself that was risky. It was your ability to handle the volatility and the movement. So that's where you have to understand what is my ability to stomach risk and movement. Um, that is paramount. Mm-hmm. There's this big, the, have, you, have you ever heard of the behavior gap?
0: Um, I've heard of it, but go with it.
1: Yeah. So, Behavior Gap, um, it was done in traditional finance years ago. Basically, a study was done on uh, trying to find the difference between investment and investor returns. So, basically, they pulled a bunch of data from mutual funds and said, what's the track record and average performance of these group of funds? And it was like 9.2% annualized rate of return. Then they looked at people who invested in those funds. So, people who invested in those exact funds that got about 9.2%, the people on average, had about a 7% rate of return. So there's a behavior gap of about 2%. They invested in those exact funds. So that can only be attributed to behavior. So we have to address your ability to stay with the initial plan and stick to something. Again, not getting on that roller coaster and freaking out at the wrong times. That's super important. Um, You jump
0: off the roller coaster at like, you know, if you're 90% of the way down the hill, you know, and you're like, oh, it's only a ten foot drop, but the speed you're going, you're gonna die.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's if if you can't if you're if you're not willing to do that ride, I'm not saying no, you shouldn't ride at all. It doesn't have to be you know the giant roller coaster. Maybe you should just start off on the merry go round. You know, we talk ride about the like turtles. Get... You know, yeah, we talk about get off zero. It's like, look, I'm not telling you to go do the giant loopy roller coaster. Maybe go do the Dumbo ride or something. Like that's okay. Do something that's going to be sustainable for you where you don't actually self-sabotage. That's one of the biggest things is self-sabotage. It's not the investment. A lot of times, yeah, there's bad investments, but a lot of it is actually attributed to poor performance related to your ability to stomach the performance of investment. And that's one thing that actually has me really concerned right now is this with this market, is who knows what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe tomorrow it's going to be announced that we're going to print a zillion dollars and everyone's going to we're going to have helicopter money again, and interest rates are going to go back down and Everyone's happy again. Maybe, maybe this drags out like the 70s or other bad bears where it's like a decade of this. And the problem is, so many people that are our age, like I'm 32, a lot of people my age have never experienced a real recession in its normal sense where it's not like two weeks long. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people we see on Twitter and have conversations. I have friends who grab my ear all the time. And it's like, hey, man, just buy the dip. And then like four days later, they're wondering why they they bought the dip. Why haven't they made a fortune off buying the dip yet? It's like it doesn't just rebound in four days. Like, yes, that happens sometimes because of usually because of market manipulation. That's what you've experienced. But you better get ready. This could drag out for a really long time. How convicted are you when you say you're going to buy the dip? You better really understand what that statement means. And I really hope that this this time, if it's a prolonged bear market, not I wouldn't say a prolonged, just a normal bear market. I hope that people are able to actually stand by through their, their convictions and not just have a, I don't know, an emotional short-term, I'm buying the dip, they're hyped up, and that hype wears off after a few months. You've got to have long-term conviction.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I recommend to everybody is that, like like you said, the get off zero. Like I say, put enough money in, where if it dips fifty percent, you'll be able, you'll actually feel the sweat. You know what I mean? Like if if a hundred bucks to use nothing, then like maybe do five hundred bucks. You know, or something like that. Where if it dips, you're like, oh man, you know. But like if you're somebody that's like, you know, I don't recommend gambling. But if you're like, you know, somebody that's dropping hundred dollars on NFL football games, you know, then like, you know, obviously a hundred dollars doesn't mean that much to you. So, um, but I say like get enough where you're like, you know, if you're really really tight. And you really, really don't like any volatility. If you put 100 bucks in and it drops to $50, you are like, oh, man, that's $50. That would be my one brother. That would be my brother if he ever did it. It would be like, I lost $50. I can't believe that. You know what I mean? And do that. Get comfortable. And then once you start to understand it, it'll at least get you in the area of understanding why that volatility doesn't matter you know what I mean? Like if you're looking at the long haul, because the other thing I always tell people is make it money that you put in there is money that you can put in your bank savings account and not touch for four years and just don't look at it because the 210,000 block theory, the four, every four years, if you go back four years in the past, the price of Bitcoin was never lower at any point. So just do that and rest easy and you'll be fine. But you know, you know, you people getting levered up and all that crazy stuff. And it's just insane.
1: Yeah, it's I one of the I guess it's a point of pride for me. It's a big compliment whenever we have times like this. So last was it July when it dropped from 53 to 29 or even now, like I haven't had any any clients or any family I work with reach out and say like, hey, Jim, what's going on with the market? I want to sell. It's nothing. It's crickets, which is great. People,
0: you must have managed uh, their expectations really well.
1: Exactly. And that's where I have, I have friends that don't really understand what I do. And anytime the market moves a lot, I'll see them like, man, I bet your phone's blowing up. And it's like, if my phone was blowing up because of market movement, I'm bad at my job and did not have a healthy conversation and set healthy expectations up front. So that's a big compliment is the fact that my phone's not blowing up. Now, ironically, I actually, I sent an email about a week ago to two of my clients and said, Hey, I just said, like, thank you. I'm proud of you. And I just expounded upon that. Like, I'm proud of you. And thank you for not blowing up my phone despite this movement. Um, this is like your situation hasn't changed. Your goals haven't changed. Um, we're going to keep moving. And uh, I had one, actually, I've had a, I had a few, few clients reach out and say, actually, I was going to reach out. But all of those people said, this seems like a great time to go and buy more Bitcoin. And I was like, now you're getting it. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Uh, That's pretty
0: awesome. So they were going to reach out, but they were going to reach out to buy the dip. <laughs>
1: exactly it's like hey i think now would be a good time to take money out of this this account that was invested in this other stuff and let's go ahead and just let's get some more bitcoin sub 30. it's like okay now we've we've educated well i'm proud of you
0: yeah that's awesome so um so how did you get started in you know the your company intentional uh living financial planning um you know how did you get into that because uh you know first of all i love that you're you know on your website that says you know helping families achieve financial independence and we can get into that but um you know that's a great mission but what what started you on that where were you before and and how did you transition from that into you know managing families finances
1: yeah okay i'll make a short story long um Hello, I'm, I'm on a gonna call oh you got the football yeah yeah
0: oh you made a necklace yeah what's up, necklace? dudes <laughs> In place. That's like a place. Oh. This episode is brought to you by the BitBox O2 hardware wallet. It is the sleekest, simplest, easiest to use hardware wallet there is, at least as far as what I've come across, because there are a lot of them out there, but Sometimes it's a little intimidating to use them, frankly, and um, Shift Crypto has created a hardware wallet that is simple, easy to use, and somebody with a smooth brain like mine can use it and not be afraid to use it. And like I said before, it's actually addicting. I keep sending Bitcoin off of the exchanges to the hardware wallet because it's simple. It's got a little touchscreen. It's about the size of a thumb drive. And um, it all works right there on the touch screen and it also comes with a backup and then you just, uh, yeah, store your seed phrase and everything in a nice secure location and get your coins and get your keys off of the exchanges so that they can't rehypothecate them and use them in other places Uh, because we know that probably is going on. And the worst place to have your Bitcoin in a time crunch in a bank run is whenever they're on an exchange. And everybody's trying to get them off, and all of a sudden the government and everybody goes, Hey, 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 no, 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 can't do that. Um, that is when you'll be thanking me for telling you to go get a Bitbox 02 hardware wallet. So go to shiftcrypto.ch/slash Bitcoin Made Simple and use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple for five percent off. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We've yeah. got we've got a four, a two, and a one-year-old. Oh boys. my
0: god, oh my god, yeah. yeah, you're you're in it, you're yeah,
1: well. You're, We'll be finding out probably any day now if we're having a third or a fourth as well. So. Oh really? <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so you're pregnant, or you are pregnant, but waiting to find out we Maybe haven't taken a, a test girl. yet. Uh, well,
1: uh, we just started trying this week. So. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, yeah. We um, we've we unfortunately have lost two. Um. Uh, one was pretty early. The other one just was this winter, and it was at the uh, like beginning of second trimester. Was pretty brutal. Man. Um but uh but yeah we've uh and don't worry, I'll cut this part out. Cause, uh um but uh yeah that was that was actually how James Lavish reached um out to me. I don't know if we were following each other before, but you know, I had like hundreds of people reach out and say they had the same thing happen. You know, you, what you know, know what,
1: mean? what? I think that's I uh, I um I'm not saying this in a self-congratulating, I don't bring this up to like have you thank me. But yeah. I, I I remember seeing that. And I think I sent you some sats and said, Hey, go order dinner. Um,
0: Dude, yes. I remember that. I, I yeah. tell people that all the time. You and a couple other people did the same thing.
1: I, I, I Kendra and I, we've never had, we've never miscarried, but I have a lot of friends. My brother, they miscarried a couple times last year. I have quite a few friends who have, and it's like, that's hard. And you're grieving. And like, you already have two kids and your wife's grieving. It's like, just here, have a break. Like, Go order out and just be able to be together and everything. So, man, I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. Um, well, now that no, is no. why you seem so familiar when we, we talked, yeah, it's, you're
0: yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That uh, dude, you have no idea that day. So, it's the day that, um, because I forget when I got them from a couple different places, there's like three or four people that sent some sats and basically said a very similar message to you. I remember that, like, you know, you know, take a, go get dinner on us, you know, like, so you can have a night. Cause I mean, there was a month period, at least a month, maybe five or six weeks where because of everything that my wife had gone through physically um, there were some certain circumstances I had to, like I was doing everything, cooking dishes, laundry, you know, it was like full on and being in a, a entrepreneur business owner, trying to make sure that that didn't implode and blow up in my face, which also we happened to move in on new year's Eve. We moved into our new house, which was like our nice big house, you know, like our forever home. And, you know, so like it cost of living went up and like, you know, all those things went up and so it was like really stressful. And then I didn't see the, the sats that you sent for the meal. Swear to God, I'm not making this up my parents came up my parents had moved to North Carolina they came up to visit and um and we went out like they were only here for a couple days we went out to take them to lunch to like this small little restaurant in our small little town and did you ever with little kids take little kids out and it's just an absolute disaster of an experience in a restaurant (laughs) so and it's like I mean they were like grumpy and then it was like they didn't like what they ordered and they were mad about it and then at one point my son dropped his dinner on the or his lunch on the tape on the floor they had to bring a new one out and then he said he didn't like it again and it was just like and i had like reached my limit and i remember driving back to our house and i was like sitting there and you know the stresses of finances and everything and not that finances were bad it just was like it was we were in a scenario where, like, w- we had two houses at the moment. So like I was, I felt like I was bleeding out money onto <laughs> the floor, you know.
1: Yeah. And
0: I, I'm, I'm, I like to have my finances sorted and know where everything is. But when you're in that scenario of moving, it is like a couple month period of time where you cannot get a clear financial picture. You know what I mean? You just have to trust that okay. I knew that everything should be where it is and it'll settle and I'll be able to reorganize once we, you know, the dust settles. So, but it was one of those things I was driving back and I was kind of like mad because I was like, we went out to eat, to have a nice time with my parents. It didn't happen. It was a total disaster. The kids didn't eat their food. I was like, and I have no idea what our finances look like. And I just wasted this money. Like, swear to God, that was my thought process. And I happened to open up whatever app that you had sent it through. And that's when I saw it. And it literally like took away that pain of like, I was like, (sighs) like, thank you plebs for like helping take, you know what I mean? Cause it was just that moment. It was kind of serendipitous the way that worked out. So, so I appreciate that. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's Awesome a kid going out to eat with kids it's like this is supposed to be fun dang it
0: yeah i know i know did you ever fun. Did, did you ever see the jim gaffigan quote where he was like i always wondered why dad was in a bad mood on vacation and yep. it was like now you get it as a dad you're just like sitting there the whole time you just see dollars flying out of your pocket for people that don't really care or seem ungrateful and
1: I don't know if it was Jim Gaffigan or someone else who was like parents still when when you have young kids you don't go on vacation you just babysit your kids in different locations yeah you know? exactly like,
0: yeah <laughs> and then you just go out to eat a lot you just you know you're like oh well, we ate we ate uh you know we had lunch here so maybe we could go over there we might have a snack bar and then you know we can get some food and then go get dinner somewhere you know and it's like that's all you do on vacation but yeah kid. that
1: gaffin nails everything what does he talk about when he, when he had their fourth kid he's like just you know it's like having four kids he's like just just imagine yourself drowning and then someone hands you a baby yeah it's like, it's yeah
0: it's <laughs> the most accurate thing and okay I'll, I'll keep i'll cut out part of the like if you don't want the whole like you guys are maybe having a baby thing in there i can cut that part out if you're
1: i don't care whatever you okay. want i'm good
0: I'm, um, I'm, I'm open you're an open book okay well the um yeah the, i felt that way honestly from one to two you And now you have three. So what was it like one to two or two to three? Which was harder?
1: Oh, man, I.
0: To use a football reference, I always said going two to three, you're going to go from man to man defense to zone coverage.
1: It's true. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I think the hardest was zero to one. Um, just that life change. Kendra and I were married for like seven years before we had any kids. So it was like just us. We also, we got a dog like four days before our first kid was born. So it was like <laughs> just us to a rescue dog and a baby. And our, our, our first one had really bad, uh, like, uh, heartburn issues. So it was like, he was always crying. He spit up like buckets of throw up every day. Like literally we did like probably four to six loads of laundry a day. There was so much spit up, yep. um, so, on you,
0: on couches, on the baby, you everywhere.
1: Know. I mean, I know most most of my friends who are parents were like, yeah, my kid spits up too. It's like, no, you don't, you don't know, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> Ooh,
0: like projectile, projectile.
1: Yeah, good, good times. Yeah. yeah I, I'm hoping at this point, if we have a fourth, I'm I'm assuming the way I view it, it's like, does an insane person know they're insane? Probably not. And that's sort of why if, if we have a fourth, it's like, eh, I mean. I feel like I'm already drowning. What's more water if you're already drowning? Right. Yeah, Exa- I'm- exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Just make the, you know, if you're getting waterboarded, you might as well just make the pitcher water bigger, you know, exactly. just, just dump more on. And yeah, that was the one to two. I feel like kicked our butts the most because it, it, when we were, there was one, it was like, Oh, if he was with my wife, then like, I was all scot-free, you know, I was good yeah. to go. And then all of a sudden when there was two, it was like, Oh, we both have to be doing something like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I
1: was, I was talking to a client earlier. They just had their second. They're they're three months old. They just had their second. And I was like, Hey, what's going to happen here is in a few months once like they're old enough and fam- maybe your parents or grandparents, whatever, will go and like pick one of them for a day or two. You're going to have one kid and you're, as far as you're concerned, you might as well be like at a resort on vacation with just one kid. Oh, that's, yeah. I told my wife, I wish I could have like a dozen kids for like two weeks and just anchor into that chaos. And then going back down to three would be like, oh, just reprieve.
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's if for those that aren't parents, they have you, you will learn one day um, the lack of sleep. I mean, it's the best thing in the world. It's it's the best thing that I've ever done is being being a parent and and everything like that. But uh, yeah, it is it is chaos. Um, And so, yeah, getting back to Miami when we're like, you know, all of a sudden like back in college where I'm like, <laughs> you know, I was oh my, the last night there, I think I was, I think I was on a rooftop bar till like three o'clock in the morning and I was like, last time I saw three, like I haven't seen three o'clock in the morning that didn't involve like rocking a child for <laughs> like seven years, you know? Yeah,
1: we went, I went with a group of guys to Breed Love's thing and then we were out like running around, it was like one in the morning, 1.30 in the morning, we're out Mediterranean restaurant just hanging out, eating. I was like, what is what is this? Like, yeah, exactly. I haven't seen 1:30 in the morning without being up all night rocking a kid in ages. It was it was just weird, like, oh yeah, life continues.
0: <laughs> yep, yeah, it's it's a strange thing. And it's hard to then relate whenever you're friends that don't have kids and they are like, uh, you'll get it, you know, like one of these days, but um, so anyway, so we kind of got uh, derailed there, but what you were about to explain, I forget what you were about to explain.
1: Oh yeah. You, you asked how I got into, into this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What yeah. was your background before and then how you transitioned into um, intentional living, fa- financial planning?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll start from the Genesis just cause it'll, it'll give perspective of why I engage the way I do. So um, I, after college, I worked a number of, jobs and weird stuff and sales. I'm really, really bad at sales. So we were poor for a long time just because I, I, I'm bad at selling and I work in sales. Um, <laughs> it's usually not a good combo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, I just kept doing it. I don't know why. But uh, finally, after, after a number of years, I always romanticized being a, a broke newlywed. Um, I don't know why. And I'm glad we were. It was fun. Like date nights were sharing a pint of ice cream while watching a movie on our laptop on our broken couch. Like that was a great date night. So
0: uh-huh.
1: I look back fondly on those days. But after years of this, I actually, I, I had a job that was terrible. The boss was terrible. So I quit without a backup plan. And that led to me being unemployed for about seven months. And during that seven month period, I was in my mid twenties. And I really started thinking about like, what do I want to do? financial stress became a real thing. And then I just started thinking about how one money is uh, every year that the American psychology association has done this study. Money has been the number one cause of divorce in the U S every year that study's ever been done. Mm -hmm. It's always one of the top causes of personal stress of suicide. Um, So I started thinking about that. If I could help families have healthy conversations about their money. And then I also recognize even when I was a kid, it, I thought it was bizarre when I'd hear my parents or friends' parents talk about like, oh, we always wanted to go to Europe, but we can't afford it. Yet I would see like a satellite on the roof. And it was like, you can't go to Europe, yet you can spend 300 bucks a month on TV. Like if you if TV is more important than Europe, just say that. Yeah. But why aren't you, if you say that Europe's important, why aren't you using your money for that? So that's where I started thinking during that unemployment time was, wow, if I could, if I could help people have healthy conversations around money and then actually use their money for what's important to them in life, how amazing of a job would that be? And I, I didn't know what a CFP was or financial planning was or anything like that. I just knew that I wanted to help people in that capacity. So I, I went into finance, a friend of a friend helped me get a job um, and I just jumped in. I went and studied a bunch. I, I just spent years working like 70 hours a week and basically just studying any free time I had and uh, eventually got my CFP, worked in different roles. I worked in retirement planning, primarily working with physicians on their retirement um, went to another small firm and I worked again with mostly older people who had accumulated wealth. And now we're trying to distribute their wealth in a tax efficient manner. Um, and I have like probably during those years, I probably had like 30 to 40,000 conversations with families about their money. And there were a few things. One of those things was the, the actual financial things that could have been done that if we just did well from an early age, would have had massive impact on their ability to do the things that they wanted their life to look like. And those could be small things over a prolonged period of time that would have compounded to make a big difference, as well as these larger milestones that if navigated properly could have made a massive difference in their life. Um, And I've seen that on average, there's every about every three years, families will have one of those milestones come up. And then between those, those three years, if you can just do the small things well consistently. So, That's number one, I I observed, man, if I could catch people earlier to help them correct these behaviors for the small and then these milestones, we can make a bigger impact. And two, even the people who are successful financially, I probably 80 to 85% of the conversations I had, I heard this story of regret. And it usually went something along the lines of like, we would, the firms I used to work at, we would talk about money primarily. And then I would ask them questions about their life because I was curious. And I I do that opposite. I talk about life and then your money is a tool to help you do what's important to your life. So we talk about your life first, but what we do is we talk about their money and clearly they are successful financially. And we get to that conversation. I'd ask them like, "Hey, I'm I'm just genuinely curious. You, You did really well. Like, why did you decide to do this? And the story usually went, and keep in mind, these people are usually in their 60s and 70s. The story usually went something along the lines of, oh, well, Um, when I was a kid, we didn't have much. So I heard my parents fight about money all the time and they would argue and I could tell my parents were just stressed and we had cruddy clothes and we didn't have good food and we didn't, didn't get to go on vacations. And it was just sort of a not the best childhood. So I decided when I was a kid or a teenager that I wanted to make sure that I did really well financially so my kids had a better childhood than I had. And then we fast forward and we're, and we're in my office and it's like, well, that's great. Like you did it financially. You you did what you said you wanted to. And now your kids, we had just talked about their kids and stuff. Your kids are grown and out of the house. How was it? You said you wanted to do well financially. So your kids had a good childhood. How was being a parent? How was raising your kids? How was their childhood? And I probably 80% of the time for the first, you could tell it was the first time these families would sit back and sort of think, and maybe just and look over each other and realize, you know what? I was so caught up in the financial side of things. I don't know. I was too busy working and building our portfolio that I, I don't know if my kids had a better, better childhood. Yeah, they have, they have lots of things, but frankly, I wasn't very present. Mm-hmm. I missed it. And that's where financially, if we, could, if we could come in financially and help correct those things, but also if we can help you from an early stage, align your money for what's important to you and help you navigate intentionally what the money is there for, that is what my job is. My job is to help you get articulate about what is important to you in life, and then just use your money in the most efficient and effective manner for that. So that's why I decided to start my own firm, why I work specifically with young families who want early financial independence, primarily for the purpose of spending more time with the people they love and being able to do more of the things that are important to them. So that's, that's why I do what I do and how I got here.
0: Wow. Um, I mean, that's, you know, speaks to, to me and, and where I'm at mentally with, you know, I, I, you know Jeff Booth says it all the time, but, you know, our most valuable commodity is our time. And, you know, it's like the, the movie, it sounds dumb, but the movie that like freaked me out the most uh, was... Um, the movie Click with Adam Sandler. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah, and then he like you know he fast forwarded his life, and to get to like the next goal, like when he was partner, and it fast forwarded to whenever he you know was out of the house that he didn't want to be in anymore, you know, and all that. And it's like if you do that, you miss out on like everything, you know, in between, and like. You know, I look at like with us just moving from like our little starter home that we were like crammed in and everything like that. And we were there for eight years and, um, you know, and then but like I, I know it's like kind of graduation goggles looking back on it and being like, you know, oh, look at those fond memories, you know. But like I also was cognizant the whole time of of that and like how, you know, special those moments are. And so I, I'm always hoping that other people can see that because, you know, like what's gonna, what's, what are you going to remember more in the future? You know, the money that you earned by working that extra minute or, you know, earlier, like the earlier this week, the pool people were here opening up our pool and there were two frogs in the pool and my boys wanted to name the frogs and play with the frogs. And so I ended up spending an hour out of the day playing with the frogs with the kids, you know what I mean? And like, taking them down to the Creek in our property and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, now they're raising the tadpoles and buckets on the back porch, you know? And it's like, that's the type of stuff that's the most valuable, you know? So like if, if anything, you should just be using your money to facilitate more of that time. Yeah. Not more things.
1: That's, that's exactly it. And that's, I have, I've had countless conversations with people who say, They want financial independence so they can have more time with their family, yet their actions today are not reflecting the fact that a family is important to them. And for me, again, I have, so I have three young kids, they're four, two, and one, and I'm currently building, I have this business, I'm currently building three other businesses and I'm really busy, like I have a lot going on, but for my wife and I, we desire financial independence, so we have more time to spend as a family and creating moments and memories with the people we love. Like, that's why we want to do this. And we want to do that now. And we're also saving financially so we can do that in the future and hopefully in an even more grand way. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you that the reason I want financial independence is so I can spend time with my kids, how foolish would it be for me to completely neglect my kids so I can one day spend time with them while missing the moments right now that they want me to tuck them in at night and read them and cuddle them and wrestle them and run around like, this is it. If money is supposed to serve that, gosh, do it. That's what's, You said that's what's important to you. And that's something that, I mean, that is so much of what I do, is helping remind the people I get to serve, hey, you said this is important to you. I'm not here to tell you that you should not or should or should not buy something, but rather, is this actually aligned with something you said is important to you? So actually, one thing that we do is, um, as we begin working with new families, we have them create what's called a statement of financial purpose. And that statement is meant to be a single sentence that encapsulates why money is important to you. And um, I, have, I have a family I work with. We've been working together for a few years now. And about a year ago, uh, they called and said, hey, Jim, we want to buy a house. It's in the same neighborhood, but it's going to cost a few hundred thousand dollars more. Can we buy it? And. Um, so we just, I was like, well, I'm really curious. Why do you want to move? Oh, well, it's, it's down the street and blah, blah, blah. So we looked at the numbers because they want to just get a quick answer. So we went and mathematically, yeah, you could buy it. You might, instead of retiring at 45, you might have to work till you're 47. Um, but yeah, you can definitely do this. So now that we know the numbers check out, like why do you want to go through the hassle of moving four houses down? They told me, well, what's happening here is our current house is sort of crammed. It's comfortable, but it's sort of crammed and we don't have a pool. And we live in Texas where it's hot. And uh, mm-hmm. having a pool is pretty important and uh, for, for a lot of people. So he said, and the thing is this new house has a pool that our current one doesn't. And they have, they have two daughters. Um, they're, they're younger, they're, they're early teens. Uh, they said, well, our daughters, whenever they hang out with their friends, they always go to their friends' houses who have pools. And we ne- so we don't get to see them that often, especially during the summer, they're always gone. I said, so, well, hey, give me a second. I wanna pull up what you told me money is important for. So I read to them. Their statement of financial purpose. And I just read to them, Hey, you told me that we desire financial independence so we can create moments as a family. And I said, Look, mathematically, you can afford the house. So I'm here to tell you that you should buy this house because you told me the money is there to serve being able to provide moments as a family together. And that's what this will do. It's not about the house, it's about a place to create moments together. So, yes, please buy the house. Um, that's, that's awesome yeah, that's, that's, that's what I do. And obviously like, I mean, investments in Bitcoin and tax planning and all those things are simply props to help do that. It's not about Bitcoin. It's not about investments or taxes. Those things help you do what's important to you. And my job is to help you be efficient in those. Mm -hmm. I I love what I do because that's what I get to help people is I get to impact people's lives, help them more so do what they say is important to them.
0: That's awesome. I mean, that's absolutely the right perspective to have, you know, where, there's so many people, I feel bad, like, um, you know, I just the people, the fact that people have to work so late in life is ridiculous, you know, and, um, you know, that's why I feel bad. Anytime I leave the kids for a business trip, I was like, like, I, like I'm missing out on moments, you know what I mean? Like, I've never missed a t-ball game and I probably will never miss, I'll probably never miss a sporting event. Like, I, I would... I'd die if I couldn't be there for a sporting event. I'd be, I'd be devastated. Um, my biggest question is once they're both playing, how am I going to coach both teams? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, you know, whereas you just, I don't know. There's, I guess there's people that have, they lose sight of that maybe, you know, cause like there aren't many people that like have kids and they're like, I don't want to spend time with them. <laughs> you know, like that. It's very rare. Um, but, uh, you know, they, I don't know. I guess i guess you prior queued into that a little bit more as to why people lose that
1: yeah well if you if you want like, here's, here's how, how here how i help families navigate that um, so i think a big problem that we that people have is well most people don't have goals which is a is an issue but then a lot of people set goals but the goals aren't necessarily rooted in something. It's more of like, I need to have goals. Therefore, I'm going to set something and I'm going to go for it. But goals change and that's fine. But if you don't know why you have those goals, as they change, you're, you're not sure how to navigate that. So how we do this is um, start off with understanding the values or purpose, the underlying why. So those are the things, values or purpose, that tends to stay really consistent over time. So that's where we anchor into. What is important to you in life? Yes, the 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 way that's displayed might change over time, but the underlying theme here is going to be consistent. If it's spending time with family, if it's building community, if it's serving other people, if it's, if it's your faith, those things stay consistent. So those are the values.
0: Mm-hmm. Once
1: we're articulate about your values, the underlying why, then we establish goals. Goals are going to change. The purpose of a goal is simply to inform what the best next step, is to take. Understanding that your goals will change. Now, the thing is, if your goals are aligned with your values, even as the goal shifts, you're still ultimately pursuing the underlying motive there. So values and then goals. And then we look at decisions. What decisions are you going to have to make? Everything requires a decision. Everything requires trade-offs. There's opportunity costs in everything you do. If you choose to go to your kids' t-ball games and and be a coach, you're you're, you're giving up the ability to work more. Um, if you choose to have satellite TV or whatever, I don't know what people have these days. If you choose to have a million subscriptions, then you might not be able to go on that Disney trip with your family or whatever. Um, just understanding what are the trade-offs and the decisions you need to make. So values, goals, decisions, and then finally actions. Um if if the vision is clear, if those values are clear, the decisions and actions are going to be easy. And once we're clear on the first things, taking action. Is relatively simple. It's maybe not actually easy to do, but we're not going to waste as much energy because we know ultimately what we're there to do and we can just act on it. So that's that's the framework we use is values, goals, decisions, and actions. We remain remain anchored in those values and all of those inform that single statement I made, I, I said earlier, the statement of financial purpose. After we go through all of those, then we say, what is the single sentence that captures the values and goals you said? And that is our frame of reference. That is the lens through which we view all decisions, especially financial decisions you're going to make. If you said it's important for you to be able to spend time and be there with your kids at night, yet right now you're wanting to buy a a Maserati and that's going to force you to work 10 more hours a week so you can pay your car note, therefore not being able to tuck your kids in at night, we either need to to reassess what you said is important to you or reassess that decision to buy the Maserati.
0: That
1: statement guides that decision
0: god you know now i'm feeling like i need to go sell my car (laughs) because i uh i that's like my it's not a maserati but um (laughs) uh but uh i that is one of my guilty pleasures I, i like nice cars um and uh this sounds like i didn't buy this but this is this is what happens in the movie business is you end up lucking into things sometimes so for a period of time It literally no cost of my own. Um, I had a Jaguar F type, uh, like two seater convertible, like, you know, just, I mean, the sportiest of sport cars that just absolutely roared up and down the highway and, and, uh, you know, it was hard to say goodbye to that. Um, and then, so then whenever we upgraded, I was like, uh, and I bought a, I, I got a Land Rover. Um, But I've been thinking it's been weighing on me for like six, seven months where I'm like, I could sell that and just buy a more like what am I doing driving around in this like actual a a time preference view because I obviously bought that before I was a Bitcoiner. Mm -hmm. And so like if you look at uh, one of the rails came off where you would put the like, um, what do you call it? Uh, the, The roof rack. So like we didn't have a roof rack on it but like the so like the you know fiberglass thing that goes over where the roof rack gets attached that makes it look like a solid roof that flew off I was driving down the highway in the fall and I haven't replaced it and I thought about that recently I was like that's how I know that like I'm in like my time preference is properly aligning because that would have driven me nuts and I would have immediately replaced it before I was a bitcoiner and now I'm just driving around with the, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, like it's, you know, um, why am I going to spend $250 on that piece? I, I don't need it, you know?
1: So my, my job, again, it's not to tell you whether or not you should buy or sell this nice car, but rather help you. And uh, whenever I work with families, is, it's emphatic that both spouses are present in these types of conversations that you and your spouse are aligned. And again, just understand what's important to you and just use your money for that. I'm like, I mean, gosh, I like, I, I, I my personal, like, you know, Jag F diet thing is mm-hmm. I want to have a house in the mountains one day, like probably in Telluride or Jackson hole. I'm probably, this house that I want is probably going to cost like five to $7 million. Like that's mm-hmm. stupid. Like no one needs a $7 million house. But mm-hmm. that, that's something I want. Um, now I have to look beyond like, why do I want that? And the reason I want that is I want that, that place is not just, it's not a trophy. It's meant to be a special place for my family and friends to be able to gather for for generations. And again, it's supposed to, it's a it's a meeting ground, a gathering place, so we as a family and friends can build memories and moments together. So it is a place to facilitate that. Like that's why I want it. And again, if I go back to like, it's important. The reason I want this is because it's supposed to be a place that we build memories as a family. That goes back to, oh, okay, am I so wrapped up in Getting enough money, enough money so I can have this house, that again, I'm neglecting my kids. That finally, by the time I can afford a house and tell you, ride that my kids don't want anything to do with me because I neglected them for their childhood. I missed the whole point. Yeah. Um, so, again, my job is not to tell you, like, you should or should not get this house and tell you, ride, or you should or should not have this car, but rather help you become articulate. That's like probably like 80% of my job is like not even financial. It's just like, lay down on this couch. Let's talk about what's important to you. And so you're uh, like a therapist.
0: And then yeah. you just happen to help people with the financial aspect of the therapy.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then it comes in it's like, Oh, okay. You said this is important to you. Here's the most efe- efe- efficient and effective way to actually do that. If we do these things, you'll get there sooner.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, I, I, the thing that you can't lose sight of what you're doing it for, because one of the things with us by having our small little house that like, you know, we were crammed into was it was great excuse for never having to have family get togethers. Like we always, I mean, we love family get togethers, but we never had to host them, you know, because we didn't, have, I mean, you know, nobody would even ask us cause we didn't have the space, you know, it was <laughs> like, Oh, like, how are we, we can't even, I think we had like one or two and like, everybody was like standing you know, it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be great if we could sit, but, uh, there's not enough chairs and there's not enough space for chairs. So, you know, hope you enjoy this. Um, and then, so we move into this new house and, you know, Easter's coming up and I was telling my wife, like, I think we got to host Easter. And she was like, Oh, well, we just moved, you know, I'm like, you know, do you think your brother will do it again this year? And I was like, maybe. And then I thought about, it and I was like, that's why we moved into this house. You know what I mean? Like, we yeah. moved into this house so that we could have space to have our family over and memories and all that stuff. So, you know, we got to do it. So, even though once you get there, you can't lose sight of the fact of why you did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, that's a, well, that's, that's a inspiring message for people. Um, and now, where with, you know, Bitcoin from a macro perspective, you know, you, so you personally other than, are you like all bitcoin all the time and just uh, maybe like a little bit sprinkled in other things or are you more aligned with what your clients are doing and spreading out like how do you how do you spread your focus I'm so not talking about your dollars is- you're like you know I'm talking about like how do you spread like what you focus on at the time like do you think everything's so broken that really you just have to focus on bitcoin until that get everything else gets fixed
1: Um as far as like analyzing and thinking and opportunities.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess there's, there's never, never going to run out of opportunities or at least ways to identify opportunities in the market. So uh, yeah. What do you, what do you focus on most at this point, I guess?
1: Um, I mean, I, I love all things financial planning. So I guess just a snapshot of the people I work with, my, my, the average family I work with is about 33 usually has a couple of kids or at least expecting their first kid or want to have kids in the next year or two. Um, And about I'd say about 70% of the families I work with own a business either as their primary source of income or as a side hustle. Usually they own real estate outside. About 60% of my clients own real estate outside of their primary residence as well. Um, So there's plenty to keep us busy. Mm -hmm. Um, Outside of, yes, Bitcoin does play a role. I will say that um, I view Bitcoin just as the way I would view good tax planning a good estate planning or anything else, it is, is, again, just simply a tool to help you do what's important to you. And I want to make sure we're doing good tax planning. We're doing good estate planning. We're doing good Bitcoin planning. Bitcoin, I think, just happens to be an asymmetric opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I get jazzed up. And a lot of people want to talk to me about Bitcoin, but it's I, I don't view it as this, like, it's not about Bitcoin. In the same way, it's not about your taxes. If we can just do that well, that will further these things. So yeah, as far as the focus, I mean, I, um, I love, like, I, I, I spend a lot of time on, like, business planning. Again, helping my clients on business entity structuring and cash flow management and, and all that stuff. Um, we work on a lot of tax planning, um, real estate holdings, We should be doing there. Um, and then, yeah, Bitcoin certainly plays a role in, how, how much Bitcoin should you own? How sh- Where should you buy it? How should you buy it? How should you custody it? Um, what are you doing for your estate plan with your Bitcoin? I mean, those are definitely conversations we have. But again, uh, it's not necessarily about Bitcoin itself. It's when we make sure we're, we're using that properly in the most effective manner we can. Um, does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, 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 it does. Um, so what do you think is going on with the Bitcoin? I mean, the markets in general, uh, <laughs> you know, because... I think we're going into a recession personally. Um that's my un- uneducated view. Um I'm a dumb filmmaker, business owner that doesn't know anything about uh financials. this is not financial advice ever. Um if you're taking financial advice from me then you've got bigger problems and you probably, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah, I just I don't know. It, the the vibe is weird right now, you know, and like I definitely didn't see this drawdown once we hit 69 K with Bitcoin in November. I was like, I actually had to sell some at that point. My listeners know to, to buy the house. Cause we didn't, we weren't able to sell and buy at the same time. Um, and so I, it was fortuitous, but at the time I was like, my God, like I'm going to sell this Bitcoin. And then when, by the time I can buy it back, it's Bitcoin price is going to be like 150 K. And, you know, I thought it was over. And, uh, and then evidently it, it wasn't. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Is it macro? Are these are these not going to decouple? You know, is Bitcoin not going to decouple from the market? And, you know, what, what, what's going to happen here? What do you what do you see is happening? Not prog- prognostication. Just what do you think is happening?
1: Yeah, well, one your your story, I, I I think you're actually just a market timing genius, and you're just being uh, very humble about it.
0: <laughs> I uh, let's go with that. Yeah, I'm yeah. A ge- I'm a genius, and yeah, it, the man. funny thing, I bought I bought or uh, we sold our house. Um, I've told this story, so my listeners are probably like, "Shut up, move on." Um, but uh, when I sold our house, it was we were supposed to sell it the Friday before, um, Ukraine got invaded. And then it got pushed back to that Tuesday. So by the time the money checked and everything cleared, and I was able to buy back into Bitcoin, I was literally like watching the news of like the invasion happening. And like the price was at like 38K and it just started tanking, like as my finger was hovering over the button. And so I was just like, let me just wait here like two hours, see what happens. And I mean, it dropped to like 4K and like it was, you know, it was just like, like, I honestly, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, religious person. So, you know, um, like, I think there's sometimes like fortuitous, they're not like, it's not like everything's defined and everything's pre-planned or whatever, but there are times where like little things like God doesn't want countries to invade each other. So that probably sounds bad whenever you're saying it that way. And I'm not trying to say I benefited, benefited from a war starting. Um, it just, you know, it was like, it was like almost this fortuitous bounce of like out of my own hands where you know it 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 for no reason it it got moved from friday to tuesday because otherwise I would have bought I would have literally cleared the check and bought all the Bitcoin then and you know I don't know I'll probably cut that part out because why it sounds like I'm bragging about it but
1: anyway <laughs> yeah, you're able to stack a few more sats. So, yeah yeah well as far as what I think is happening I don't know uh um, also don't don't I mean this this is not financial advice I, I don't I don't know you know as much as me like everything is so chaotic it's it is it's infuriating how broken the system is. That we are, you mentioned decoupling earlier. We have decoupled from like economics and a free market to, well, let's just wait and see what like these couple of people have to say. And that's what it's all driven by. How how terrible of a system is that? It is, it's infuriating. There's no, there's no rationality. You can't say that, hey, this thing is undervalued or overvalued this thing is a safe and this thing is speculative. Like, I mean, gosh, like looking at Target and these, these big retailers, like major companies are trading like penny stocks right now. It is, it's nuts. And that's, that's symptomatic of a, of, a, of a broken structure. If, if you put a gun to my head and get this, I'm, I don't know what's gonna happen, this is not advice. Like I'm just saying like speculation, if you put a gun in my head and said, what would you see the most likely outcome here? I think what we're looking at is is like the '70s. Um, I think we're going to enter a phase of of stagflation, where inflation is not going to slow down for a while. Even if inflation slows down, like you have to have deflation to offset inflation. I don't think that's going to happen for quite a while. So even if inflation "quote unquote" slows down, like we set a new benchmark of prices, um, in my in my opinion. So I and I don't think inflation is going to slow down anytime soon. Um, heck, I mean that's Target yesterday had their earnings had their earnings call. Their, their stock was down twenty five percent yesterday. I'm sure they're down more today. I don't I haven't looked, but a lot of that was because uh, I mean they missed their earnings by it was like twenty eight percent miss. Wow. And um, they along with other retailers, Costco, Walmart, these people are saying it's because their operational costs are significantly higher than they thought. Which that tells me if their operational costs are higher, therefore they didn't make as much money. I'm not a macro genius, but my understanding there is that these major retailers have not yet passed all of their their operational cost increase over to us yet. And if that means anything, if if they're if they're missed by 28% was because their operational cost was 28% higher than they thought it would be, then I would think that sometime soon your local retailers' costs are going to go up somewhere around 10 to 28%. I don't know, but so that's that's my thoughts on on inflation and the stagflationary environment is is bad inflation mixed with uh, the fall in, in assets. Hard assets are difficult. This we'll start with we'll start with some simpler ones, like the stock market, the bond market. I say simple. I don't know what that's gonna happen here. Um it, it just rates, if they keep propping up, the bond markets get destroyed. Um, I mean, gosh, existing bonds are are, are trash. when do you own cash and hope that inflation doesn't burn you more? Do you buy the stock market that, well, before this drop, was trading at multiples like we haven't seen since the dot-com bubble? Um, yeah, it makes sense that everything's burning to the ground. We're, we've been sitting on, we've been sitting in a forest of pine needles stacked yards high, and now we're surprised there's a forest fire the moment lightning strikes. That's a healthy thing to happen, and frankly. Mm-hmm. I almost wish that we would allow this forest fire to take place. So finally we can see some rebirth and gener- regeneration of healthy economics.
0: You know what? That actually is kind of a, a good analogy to the way that the across the border in Mexico, they manage wildfires as opposed to how they handle them in California. Have you ever seen that? I, I might've brought done. this up on the show before, but like, so across the border in Mexico, they, they have the uh, wildfires more frequently, but they're smaller and they just take care of themselves because they burn off the dead brush. Where in California, they try to manage the forest fires and manage mother nature. And so they all of a sudden have this buildup of dry brush. And then the moment that there's a spark, boom, you have people driving down the 405 with, you know, the entire hill, like mountainside engulfed in flames, you know. So it, it it is kind of funny that you think because they we try to manage mother nature and now we've been trying to manipulate the stock market and everything. And now we have all these, all this dead wood just sitting there.
1: Yeah. And people don't understand that, the the intervention are like, dang, you, you and your, uh, uh, capitalism, you're breaking everything. It's like, no, 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 no. Like capitalism would be Mexico's forest fire thoughts. It was the intervention that of, of California's intervention that has brought this issue. It's not mm-hmm. capitalism. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the intervention and, uh, mixed signals that are being put out there from, from the people that are coming in and are intervening. So it's, yeah, it's really frustrating. So I, I don't, I don't know, but I, the, the other hard thing is like, I mean, heck, if we look at different asset classes, what could happen here? Um, you know, I I get asked this all the time as far as real estate, like what's going to happen with real estate? I I don't know. Again, you all know as much as me. I'm not, I'm not a genius and I don't have a crystal ball, but with real estate, it does look a lot different than in 2007, 2008. Um, I have a lot of friends that are like mortgage officers and all that stuff. So we look at the data for fun to see like the um, amount of existing loans uh, and the interest, the average uh, credit score for loans that are in existence there are so few, comparatively speaking, there are so fewer um, loans in existence for people who have bad credit scores compared to compared to in the early 2000s. So 2000 was this speculative bubble, bubble built by school teachers and strippers and people who didn't have much assets and a lot of them had poor credit. Um, nothing against school teachers and stuff. I'm just saying like, yeah. it was built on people who couldn't afford $5 million houses and like four of them. Uh, And right now we're not looking at a whole bunch of speculative people with like going out and buying a bunch of houses on bad credit. It's a lot of normal people. And the problem is when you, if you're going out to buy a house right now and you're competing against a dozen people, yeah, maybe you're competing against, you know, a couple other families who are trying to buy their forever home as well, but you're also competing against like BlackRock and hedge funds and pensions and these groups, and they get cheap money. Like we're going to talk about cannellon, like that's, it's huge. Um, it's it's infuriating. So um, I don't know what's going to happen as far as the housing market either. Like, we're, again, we're not, we're not thinking like what happens if this bubble pops and people have been like individuals with bad credit who've been speculating over levered. We're talking about like institutions, like that will have to collapse most likely in order for this to collapse. Maybe I'll eat my words in like a week. I don't know. But it makes me think that it makes me question what's going to even happen with real estate and these other hard assets. And then going back to Bitcoin, um, gosh, as far as that decoupling, obviously right now that's trading that's trading in a, in a speculative manner. That goes back to like an hour ago when we were talking about understanding the difference between volatility and risk. Um, I personally believe that Bitcoin, if you look at what it is, the use case of it, and the necessity for healthy, sound, hard money, I think it is outrageously safe um, while super volatile versus um, these other things. Like it's I, like I think a bond they,
0: that isn't volatile but very unsafe.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that's where I, um, yeah, we're seeing right now the the volatility, and I, I, I would, I would hope that over time people start to recognize. The, the, the use of it, the, the need for hard money that is decentralized um, and people will start to recognize, um, yeah, there is a difference between, um, again, volatility and risk. And as that happens, that will be hyper-Bitcoinization and that will be um, leading to this alignment of risk and volatility. Uh, we'll see lower volatility. Again, we, I mean, we've had these conversations with, I'm, I've had these conversations, I'm sure you have, as far as my goal is for one day Bitcoin to not really be even discussed. In the same sense as like, I don't, under, I don't discuss the internet with friends. Mm-hmm. I, don't talk about, I don't talk about the US dollar with friends. And I hope Bitcoin gets there. And that will be when Bitcoin is no longer very volatile and it's not really seen as risky, it just is that's the goal.
0: I agree. That's we don't talk about, you know, hey, do you, you know, what do you think of TCP IP? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like, you know, at, at most you maybe have a conversa- conversation about what browsers you use. You know, you know, which is layer 2, layer 3. Um yeah, I think that's whenever bitcoin wins. Um and hopefully we're there soon. I think I think it's going to happen. Um I just hope it happens as gracefully as possible and not as violently as possible because um you know there's that little part of me that like you know it's like the Heath Ledger Joker that just you know wants to watch the world burn and sit there you know like it's not about the money you know and like not that like for people like I mean I want to watch like you know the elites all squirm and get uncomfortable and be like oh it's not this you know you know little cream puff world that we had built up for us but Anyways. Um, well, uh, what it, it, I guess I should let you, you know, give uh, people a handoff where you're going to, where, where they can find you and, and your company website, you know, and, and if, if people want to reach out to you to, you know, kind of get their, you know, uh, your, their, their, are planning under control, you know, you've done a good job of selling it, but you know, what, <laughs> you know, p- go ahead and pitch people that are listening that, that maybe you want to get financial independence and, and have some aid in that, you know, how could they uh, get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Jim Kreider TX as in Texas. Um, and then I, uh, you can go to my website. It's intentional living FP as in financial planning. So Intentional Living fp.com And um, on my homepage, there's my calendar. Um, feel free to put 15 minutes on there. If you have a one-off question about anything, if it's like, hey, what should I do with what's my 401k? Or I have this money laying around, should I buy Bitcoin with it? I'd be more than happy to try to answer your question for you. Or yeah, if you want to talk about maybe working together, I would be more than happy to spend a few minutes and see if or how it could be of help.
0: Awesome. Well, Jim, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you.
0: All right, everybody, that'll do it for this week's episode. I want to thank Jim again for coming on and also want to thank our sponsor, Shift Crypto in the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Check them out at shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin Made Simple and use the promo
1: code Bitcoin Made Simple for 5% off. Talk to you guys next week.